So a couple of weeks ago, I said on the show that we probably wouldn't focus on college basketball until March. And then I realized not long after that that was a complete lie because today I'm fortunate enough to reconnect with an old friend. And some of you may know him as the play-by-play voice of the Los Angeles Rams, the defending Super Bowl champions, I might add. They get to hold that title for another few weeks Uh, But he's also a great broadcaster for the Pac-12 Conference, the Conference of Champions, as referenced many times by Bill Walton and others. But this guy is J.B. Long, and I'm thrilled that we're making this happen. So welcome. Greg, good to see you. Good to reconnect with you. It's the least that uh, I could do after all the great research and assistance you provided me during your unforgettable internship with the Los Angeles Rams. And you are my brother in generic uh eggshell white zoom backdrops yeah uh for those of you who are wondering and watching the video we actually did this out of solidarity not laziness we just wanted to (laughs) be completely on the same page to make the best episode possible uh so yeah i mean we got pac-12 basketball rolling teams have played seven games now still a ways to go because january is a completely different month than March when it comes to college hoops. Lots of general interesting observations so far. We got four schools that we're mainly going to focus on because their rivalry pairs will face off this week. But before we get there, I just got to ask JB, I know you've done a handful of different games. You just came from doing ASU and OSU. In general, what has stuck out to you in some of these early stages here? Hmm. Well, I think the coaching continuity uh, leading to kind of forward progress for some key programs, uh, among the things that I would note, uh, certainly in Tucson, I think in Salt Lake City, uh, Tad Boyle until this past week, I think was making uh, good progress with this Colorado group. There's numerous other examples, but I think the year over year progress, despite uh, kind of my second point, the lack of high end NBA draft talent. I don't know that there's a lottery pick in this league would be glad to be proven wrong come the spring. But unlike in years past, I think um, the clear, you know, freshman of the year, Pac-12 player of the year, not necessarily then translating into a top of the NBA draft selection. Um, Maybe that's a byproduct of still some COVID carry through some veteran rosters uh, supplemented through the transfer portal, not necessarily through the high school ranks, but uh, I think UCLA true to form uh, has been the class of the conference. And depending on what happens this week could, I mean, essentially clinch uh, by the midway point. I know that's not a realistic thing to say, but it feels that way at this juncture of the season and where this conversation I know is going to lead. Um, so those are kind of my my high level takeaways. Uh, good outcomes in the non-conference in terms of head to head results some resume results, but maybe not as much as we had hoped in terms of the overall rising tide getting to the win percentage that we would have liked for the league to put them in position for maybe five or six bids as opposed to three or four. Yeah, I think bringing up the COVID point is fair because it's a couple of years removed since that initial hit, but because of all the eligibility rules and then the way that it works with NIL now and the transfer portal, there's going to be the effects of this COVID class for probably at least another couple of years. I mean, everybody likes to joke about Stetson Bennett being way too old to be playing quarterback for Georgia, but it transcends across all sports. 
Uh, you started with UCLA, and I think that's the perfect starting point for us. They've won 13 in a row. They've got the third highest efficiency margin in the entire country, but they have a tough slate of games this weekend playing both the Arizona schools on the road. Obviously, University of Arizona is one of the top teams in the country since last year and getting Tommy Lloyd. But Arizona State is rising as well, and they're second in the conference right behind UCLA. So this is going to be a big one there in Tempe. You've gotten very familiar with these Bruins. You were on the call for the last ASU game, and then you've obviously done a lot with Arizona since they surged back into a powerhouse. What are you watching for in these upcoming games this weekend, particularly from UCLA? Well, Greg, let me start kind of big picture and then I'll zoom in uh, to some of the more granular stuff. It's interesting to me that because of Arizona's stumbles, UCLA doesn't have to beat the Wildcats to win the Pac-12. That's something that I didn't think I would say at the new year after the first round of league play, but that's where we are. Um, so before seeing them head to head, I, I would have said that UCLA is probably the better roster top to bottom. Uh, and unfortunately for Arizona, I think uh, their most recent loss, be it at Oregon or even going back to the stumble in Salt Lake City after they won the Maui Invitational, has put them in a trail position, which is not insurmountable, but it does mean they're going to need help. And it does mean their margin for error um, is negligible if it even exists anymore. Uh, UCLA has been fascinating for me to follow really from the opening week of the season because we all knew the headliners they had coming back, be it a veteran point guard in Tiger Campbell, a national player of the year candidate in Jaime Jaquez. Um, but Jalen Clark was the one out of the gate, so I think put this team on his shoulder and showed them what they could be. Uh, and not just getting early results, including some resume wins in you know, Las Vegas uh, or losses in Las Vegas turned into resume wins at Maryland and uh, Madison Square Garden. But I think demonstrating uh, the depth and the talent of Mick Cronin's roster went well beyond the household names that we're still familiar with from their final four run from a couple of years ago. And what that did, Greg, is I think it bought them time for their freshman class, uh, headlined by Adam Boner right now, to come on. And we'll see what happens with Amari Bailey and, and what he can bring back to their roster coming back from his injury. But um, I think even someone like Will McClendon having the time and the space to work into the rotation and to carve out his role coming off of a knee injury or Mac Etienne or so many others. Uh, Mick Cronin, we knew would have uh, the high end talent and the defense to compete for a league championship and maybe a one seed. But the way they have played on offense has you know, caused him at times this season to joke that he's starting to get calls uh, for offensive coaching clinics, which is not something that uh, you would have expected going back to his days at Cincinnati. Uh, so I think they're solid. I think they're complete. I think they're poised. And uh, I think they're rightly atop the conference at 7-0. and But this trip will be telling. And as, as always, Greg, I know you look at the sequencing too, right? When you play your when you go with your travel partners to play a road trip, who do you catch first? Where are they? And then what's your back end turnaround? Uh, so to start in Tempe, I think is interesting because the Bruins are playing the hotter of the two Arizona teams. Bobby Hurley's group had a really nice trip through the state of Oregon. And I know their outcome in Corvallis uh, wasn't necessarily eye popping, but road sweeps are tough to come by as Arizona themselves found out. And I think the Sun Devils are in a really nice spot. And we can talk more about them as we go on. 
Yeah, that's a fantastic answer and really great insight into UCLA. And it's kind of sparking another question, which not necessarily there's one right answer. So I'm not sure uh, if you're going to have anything off the top of your head for this one. But you talked about the headliners returning to the team, Jaime Jaquez, Tiger Campbell. But they did lose Johnny Juzang now on a two-way contract with the Utah Jazz. Now contrast that with Arizona, last year's Pac-12 champions. They lost Benedict Matherin, fighting for a rookie of the year spot, just killing it with the Pacers right now. But they've had a little bit more stumbles than UCLA. So in terms of how Mick Cronin's group has adjusted to a loss of a big piece, what do you think they've done well that's been hard for other schools to do the same? Hmm. I would say embrace their identity. Uh, they know where they're going to win games and they've got this established precedent and accountability from the top down within their locker room that I think works really well. And now Jaime Jaquez is putting out results, uh, including most recently in that win over Colorado that look like he is a Pac-12 and National Player of the Year candidate, but he didn't have to be that early on. He didn't have to press for his 20 points per night. I wouldn't say he was standing back and watching or delegating but I think the standard that he and Tiger set and upheld allowed the likes of Jalen Clark to step into their own, allow the likes of a Dembona to come in and just use his raw athleticism and work rate to carve out his space within, within their system. Uh, I, I read or I heard something that McCronin said early on, which has stuck with me, which is when addressing this group and how to motivate them, he made the point that I'm the only one in our UCLA basketball facility who has his dream job, who is exactly where he wants to be at this stage of his career. Everyone else might be where they had hoped to be at 19 or 20 or 21 years of age, but you've still got a long ways to go in terms of ascending the mountain to be the player uh, and the professional that you want to be eventually. So uh, it's interesting how the individual motivations, but the collective team goals, I think, have pulled that, that group in the right direction which is not to say it's not the case in Tucson or Tempe or anywhere else. I just think they're far, they were farther along in terms of who are we now and where do we need to get to get back to a Final Four. They have that built-in institutional knowledge and buy-in, uh, I think, throughout their roster. And then really nice role players. I mean, I can't believe I've gone this long without talking about someone like David Singleton. When you lose Juzang, I think the biggest question is, okay, if defense is sucked down on your interior scoring, who's going to provide the shooting to expand that out or to capitalize on that? And Singleton, if there was like a, a super senior of the year award, I think he would be the leader in the clubhouse for something like that because of, uh, you know, he, he's probably no higher than fourth, I would guess, on their scouting report. Like when opponent takes a look at them in terms of, hey, who do we have to really identify and knock off their game to have a chance to win? And yet he continues to capitalize in that middle space. So I was going to do the segue from UCLA to USC because I know that yeah. given your geographic situation, that is uh, the two teams you get to be around the most. But actually, I've kind of changed my mind in the moment okay. and would like to go to Arizona State because that's who UCLA does get to face first. One of the surprises in the conference, uh, at least in my eyes, I mean, six and one to start, they only lost to their rival Arizona and that was in large part due to a horrendous first half and just a little bit too much to overcome in the second 
You were at their most recent game. You mentioned not the most eye-popping win. It was a five-point win uh, in Corvallis on Saturday, but you were able to see this one up close. Now, after watching this Sun Devil team in person, are you sold on their hot start to Pac-12 play? I am. I think they're an NCAA tournament team. You can't say they're a lock at this point, too far to go. Uh, but I, I think they're going to get in the dance and they're going to maybe give somebody trouble. I don't know if they are uh, complete enough or that they have the high end firepower to outlast a UCLA over the course of a season. But I don't think it's any fluke that they're alone in second place. And referencing that loss to Arizona, I think that's why some people would say that the Wildcats are still the second best team in the conference, not the Sun Devils. But that'll sort itself out in the coming weeks. What I know is true is in the second half of that loss to their in-state rival, Bobby Hurley's group found something. Something clicked. And I think that has propelled them forward in a way that not only has allowed them to put together a winning streak, allowed them to grab uh, a road sweep, their best conference start in my lifetime, all those things, um, but I think has put them on a course to achieve really special outcomes. I would say the one concern with Arizona State, despite all of these signs of positivity that you're mentioning, is that, you know, it's funny, I uh, we've talked so much football in our relationship, and I'll bring one little analogy back into it. Sure. As with sort of the Minnesota Vikings of this year, with Arizona State, they have had times where they've looked really good, they've looked really competent, they've found ways to win games. But when they've looked bad, it's looked real bad. And I mentioned that first half against their rival at home. But then they also had that infamous USF game losing yeah. 97 to 60 or something and couldn't make a shot for the life of them. Uh, is that concern you at all? The fact that when things turn the wrong way, it really goes south. Yeah, I was hoping you wouldn't ask about that loss to the Dons because that one is inexplicable in so many ways. Um, and it's not one that I can defend and maybe not even one that Bobby Hurley would want to. It's probably just a, a chapter in their overall story arc this season. Um, but it could be a cautionary tale, certainly. I, I was uh, led to believe that they are an analytics dream in that they get paint touches and dunks and alley-oops and they shoot a bunch of threes. And I, I don't think they have to shoot necessarily a high clip or get hot from the perimeter to win because what's different about this group of Sun Devils, this is maybe an emerging trend, so I don't want to say it's out of nowhere, but they're as good a defensive team as I think the league can claim. And their pieces fit. When you watch this team courtside, there's not a lot of airspace. And they get after you 94 feet and they have the length and athleticism to bother you no matter who you want to play through or who you put the ball in the hands of. And I think that travels. That's that's why they're able to get that road sweep. I think that has staying power when you de uh, when you board and you defend the way that they do. You're going to have some off shooting nights. It happens to everyone. But I think there's more margin for error there for the Sun Devils compared to their peers and maybe compared to some ASU teams. Uh, in the past because their pieces fit together really nicely. They play, I think, a cohesive style, and they give you just as much punch on the defensive end as they do when they're attacking the rim. I like that you mentioned the staying power and that also it travels well. I would argue that 
in a sport that is as fragile as college basketball. And what I mean by that is when it gets to March and there's not all this home versus away and you're playing teams that you haven't been focusing your entire year on, foul trouble is a really big thing. And everybody's conference officiates a little bit differently. And you only get 5,000 in college. If you pick up two early ones and you're a star, you're probably spending the rest of the first half on the bench. I'm not here to say whether five fouls should be kept or changed or whether mm -hmm. one conference has better reps versus another style of officiating. But it is true that it's fragile. So if you have a team that is capable of bothering other teams and you know these kids, I mean, as great as athletes as they are, we're talking 18 to 22, 23-year-old players. It's hard when you get unraveled early in a game and you're fighting for something big and deep. So, uh, yeah, Arizona State, that's a good point to make for them that they have a defense, they're long, they're disruptive. Um, you know, maybe that USF loss is the kind of thing that I think everyone's allowed a stinker here and there. But sure. uh, time will tell if that is something that is worth being concerned about, especially as they got a pair of tough games against the L.A. schools. And now I guess I'll go back to the other L.A. school because I think in third place right now in the conference, you have USC. UCLA, of course, had their final four run in 2020. USC got all the way to the Elite Eight in that same year. They are 13-5 and five overall, 5-2 five and two in the conference. Kobe Johnson is one of two players in the Pac-12 to have over two steals per game. And Jalen Clark, as you talked about, is the other They got the conference leader in total blocks, Joshua Morgan, nine and one at home, four and four elsewhere. So they really are making use of the home court advantage, but they too have that tough test. You get to spend a lot of time around this group compared to other Pac-12 schools. What sorts of details are you paying attention for in this other Southern California team? Yeah, well, I do think they have an advantage in that they are traveling with the UCLA Bruins. And I, I think there is the potential to kind of have a little bit of a windbreak there to draft off uh, all the attention and all the energy that teams have to put into their UCLA game. I, I think we've seen that in years past. It makes it easier when uh, you are traveling with the first place team to find road splits. I, I think that's a very real reality uh, for USC. And it comes at an interesting time, this trip, because Uh, I did their win over Colorado last Thursday, I believe it was, Wednesday. Uh, and Vincent Iwachukwu made his season debut. Uh, for those who don't know, he went into sudden cardiac arrest in the middle of a summer workout. And this was their latest in a long line of five-star, seven-foot freshman recruits. And I think if you subtract a piece like that from just about any team in college basketball, including the Blue Bloods, that derails a season. And I think USC and Andy Infield did well to make sure that wasn't the case. Like even without Iwuchukwu, they were a team that was building a resume that might be worth considering on Selection Sunday. How much he's able to get up to speed and impact the rest of their season, their second half, to me is one of the biggest narratives I think to watch in the Pac-12. But in the meantime, Greg, what I saw it do, I think, is light a spark under Joshua Morgan, who's held down that five spot uh, for USC, both defensively, but now more than ever offensively. He had a great game against Colorado, and they don't win without the point production um, that he brought to that game. So uh, they're instantly a deeper team with a bit more margin when it comes to post-foul trouble. 
Uh, I don't necessarily see USC as as potent a team as they would have been with Onyeka Okongwu or the Mobley brothers, but they're solid. And I do think they have some built-in advantages, uh, including being, I think, still one of the more overlooked teams in the conference and in the West with what they can do defensively in their field goal percentage defense. What determines their success more often than not is how fast is the ball moving? Uh, can you distribute touches and get side to side, uh, get that second or third side to get an open look rather than settling for the one that you could get off the dribble at any point in the possession? That that more often than not dictates the outcome for Andy Enfield and company. I like that. You're talking about a team that is solid. And as we mentioned earlier in the show, the conference as a whole is probably a little bit weaker compared to NBA draft lottery talent and true difference makers in that regard. But a solid team can also do a lot of damage in college basketball, and it speaks to why they're so good at home. Might struggle a little bit more on the road. Again, these are games to pay attention to as the L.A. schools go to the Arizonas. Now, USC has been very interesting. They've made it to the Elite Eight, but they lost talent in the Mobley Brothers, and now they're working a way back to try to get to that standard. Arizona is the next team I want to go to, and they are somewhat of the opposite as what we're talking about with USC because they have really high highs, but they've hit a couple bumps in the road. I mean, obviously, the defending Pac-12 champs, Tommy Lloyd completely revitalized this program. I think they were 45-5 and through his first 50 games, which makes the second-best mark for a coach in NCAA history and the best in over 100 years. They got the top two rebounders in the conference. They have uh, the top assist man in the conference and tons of individual talent. They move the ball like crazy as a team, by far the most assists per game. But they're finding little bits of struggle. And even in their wins against uh, Washington, for example, they were down in the first half. Washington was making everything. Then they found a way to get that one done. But Utah was a game you mentioned. Then Oregon, they Gave up 87 points, I believe. And that one, uh, everything was going the Ducks way. So we mentioned the obvious, which is the loss of Benedict Matherin. But it's very clear that they are still well coached. They still have experience. And at home against that crowd, it is really, really tough to come by wins. Are you still a believer in the Wildcats to finish top two and maybe get like a top four seed in the tournament? Yes, I'm still a believer in Arizona overall. Yes, I still believe that they could finish second, if not win the league. I think Las Vegas will be more important than ever, probably, for the Wildcats. And that is Tucson North. And they bring very much their same home court advantage from McHale as they do to T-Mobile Arena. Um, but I was thinking a, a little bit this week about maybe it could serve Arizona well if this particular group of Wildcats doesn't carry the weight of regular season Pac-12 champion, uh, tournament Pac-12 champion, one seed in the NCAA tournament. Like all the hopes and expectations of the Arizona Wildcat basketball program and fan base on them. And maybe they just fly a little bit more under the radar. I don't know, three, four, five seed, wherever they they might end up. And they can just go attack March um, because I do trust Tommy Lloyd. I do think their roster is still well-constructed, but it hasn't looked as easy for Arizona this year as it did in Tommy's first season, does it? And that could be a harbinger of things to come. 
Or it could just be a sign that they're not a finished product yet. And as soon as this weekend against UCLA, they might reassert themselves as the force that I think can go deep, not only in the conference, but also in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and uh, they get UCLA on the back end of that trip. So first, they got to worry about USC, an incredibly solid team. I think if they're they're very much a team of momentum. I've spent a lot of time watching this group relative to other Pac-12 schools, and it's been fun to contrast the two years so far. And you do see the flashes of greatness, the ball movement, the rebounding, the intensity on defense, feeding off the home crowd. And then you've seen times where it doesn't look so easy. So uh, maybe it is a good sign for them to not have all this pressure built. Maybe they're not a finished product, like you said. But I think after this weekend, there's going to be plenty more to discuss on this team. It's just hard to speculate at this moment in time. Uh, Craig, I don't sense sense there's anything broken in Tucson, though, or rotten with the Wildcats. Do you? I just think maybe you're just getting some arbitrary results and you're catching teams um, at the wrong moment, be it Utah and Salt Lake City or Oregon desperate to save its season after losing to Arizona State and giving up 90 points in Eugene. Like Sometimes that happens, and um, maybe we don't need to ascribe too much meaning to it, but uh, we could also be in these same seats next week and saying, "Uh uh-oh. That should have been a red flag that the Wildcats aren't who we thought they were. I would agree with you that there doesn't seem anything rotten, toxic, messed up going on there. I think that uh, it's just tricky when you're figuring things out. And when they've reestablished themselves as a powerhouse, not just in the conference, but in the country, that's always going to bring out the best in other teams. If you are a college kid and you got the chance to go, especially on your home floor, play against an Arizona, a UCLA, you're going to be getting team's best effort. And so maybe they got a little bit more of a target on their back too. That's something else to think about. Arizona State is sort of the opposite where people didn't really have them on their radars and now they're finally starting to get noticed. Um, But yeah, those are four of the top five teams right now with Utah being the one we didn't dive into as much. And since there are 12 children that we have to focus on and you can't (laughs) always get to all of them, but I guess I'll take this chance to ask if there's any team we haven't really dove into too much or maybe a fun little dark horse or at the very least like a Las Vegas tournament disruptor that you kind of have your eyes on from the games you've been doing. Uh, Just glancing down the standings, I think Utah is an important one. Uh, There's nothing wrong with getting swept in Los Angeles on its face, but it does put a lot of pressure coming back home to the Huntsman Center this week against the Washington schools to almost sweep back uh, to get your season back on track. I think that'll have major implications, not only in terms of their Pac-12 seeding, but also their net ranking and uh, March resume. Oregon, I can't figure out. Thank you for not asking me about the Ducks. I really don't know. I I wouldn't know where to start or what to tell you about where they are at this juncture, who the real Oregon team is for 22 and 23, or what they might be be capable of. I do know it's not yet February and Valentine's Day is usually about when I start to evaluate an Oregon basketball team. So we're not there yet. Um, Looking a little bit deeper, Washington State's got that massive road win in Tucson. And I you know, maybe one of the thought about the byproduct of where Arizona is, is they are lifting other boats because of they were uh, so good non-conference and they're taking their dents at least to league opponents. 
Um, so that could have positive benefits for the conference. Washington coming off uh, probably the easiest sweep home to the Bay Areas on, on the schedule. More to come for them. Uh, Cal really, really struggled through November, December. They've racked up a couple of league wins. And Oregon State, I think, is better than one and six. Having seen them in person and seen a lot more of them to come, uh, they have started more freshmen than any team in the Pac-12 and just about as much as any in college basketball. Um, but they're not just starting freshmen because they have to. They do have to, but they're starting freshmen because their freshmen are good. I, I like this freshman class for Wayne Tinkle. And I think there are, don't be surprised if Oregon State picks off a few in the second half of the schedule, because I think they have now found their their rest of the year identity, their starting group and their rotation. And they've yet to take that outside of Gill Coliseum and Corvallis. Whether or not they can remains to be seen, but they are going to beat somebody better than they should. I, I can almost promise you that. And when you have a young team, especially a lot of freshmen, taking an identity is always going to take some time to find that true form and what's working for you, your winning formula, always going to take time when you have young groups. So I like that take on Oregon State. I won't ask you about the other Oregon school because they drive me crazy too. The only thing I want to ask is that watching a little bit of the Oregon versus Arizona game, I'm thinking, is there a worse court in college basketball? Some people gave <laughs> you like TCU it. and Cal State Bakersfield. You like it. I like it in person. I, I can okay. see on TV it can be a little rough on the viewing audience. I get that. But I, I'm never going to penalize someone for doing distinct and unique and taking it in a different direction, especially for Oregon. They built their brand on that. So I think it is very Oregon Ducks, uh, their court. And um, look at Speaking of, you know, kind of where we started, if you want NBA draft potential, there's plenty of it in Eugene. And so if you want that kind of dark horse pick who might get hot, who might make a run, I would not be happy to see Oregon on my side of the Pac-12 tournament bracket, put it that way, because they do have games like they found over this past weekend where they just jump up and beat somebody because they have NBA scouts sitting in row five, you know, watching their talent. Okay. I like that. I like that. And I guess the last thing I'll add on the court is maybe from the TV, it's the court combined with the neon jerseys that gets me. That's a little bit of a tough combination. <laughs> yeah. Now the jerseys I care very much about basketball when you're there courtside, it's, it's not as difficult, but football. Oh my gosh. I had some games this year where, oh gosh, like it was an Eastern Michigan wore silver on white, silver numbers on white uniforms. And then I think Arizona State wore yellow on tan. And it's like, guys, what are we doing here? Why even have numbers? How are we possibly supposed to identify uh, your players and read their names for mom and dad? But for another That's podcast, a long Greg. day for broadcasters and spotters and anybody who has to make their job finding out what player is which. Yeah, that would be, oh, geez, tan on yellow. I don't even think I've seen those jerseys, but. And Might then the Raiders, up. Greg, and then the Raiders did it to me too on Thursday night football at SoFi Stadium. They went silver on white as well. So uh, 2022 is not my year in terms of uniform combinations, but those keep me up at night. The court, not so much. Hey, at least with that Raiders game, they suffered the ultimate punishment at the end. So <laughs> that was something. 
that was oh man that was a wild game but yeah so we got uh oh by the way my fun fact on asu that i haven't thrown in is that i like looking at a bunch of random stats spent a lot of yesterday doing that and asu has the 10th highest luck score in the entire nation definitely Mm -hmm. the highest in the pac-12 so just not saying it's a bad thing it's just a thing that is something to watch though in terms of potential regression but uh i think their confidence is building and i think there was a maturity there from that group to go down 16 on the road in the first half having already picked up a resume win at oregon and not saying ah we got the split let's go home and continue our season but rather let's dig in let's ride this out let's trust that the percentages are going to balance out and that our style is going to win out over the course of 40 minutes and that's exactly what happened Arizona State, Bobby Hurley, he's got a temper, but he's also got a group. So, uh, JB, where are you headed to next, by the way? Great question. Uh, Salt Lake City, Washington, and Utah, Saturday on Pac-12 Network. Okay, good. So you're going to be keeping an extra eye on Utah, and if they're able to sweep back after uh, getting swept in the L.A.s, good chance for Utah to... Craig Smith has done a nice job there, but now it's time to cash it in. Now it's... Not just about progress, but it's about finishing and putting yourselves in the conversation for Selection Sunday. Right now, being in a top four slot, they have very much a chance to do that. So, uh, I mean, I think that's everything good with me on the Pac-12. I don't know if you had any. We covered it all. Okay, great. Um, I promised my parents that uh, I would not talk too much about Cal and bring them that kind of pain. So I, I think it was a successful episode. Maybe they turned a corner, you know, some new new pieces slotting in where they had hoped to be back in November. And, uh, you know, the, pro- <clears throat> the problem, just to finish with Cal, is uh, you want Mark Fox and that group to achieve their results. But right now they're kind of a landmine for everyone else in the conference where if you take a loss home or away against Cal, it really is going to set you back. And that's just what we hope to avoid with the resumes that all 12 of our member institutions build in November, December. But so it goes. So it goes. Oh man, lost an AirPod. They did a. Uh, they did so well until just that moment. But um, yeah, I am so looking forward to revisiting some of this as we turn the corner into March. Surely there will be some Pac-12 schools in the big dance. And as for JB, find him on Twitter at JB underscore Long. Uh, by the way, he has the most adorable profile picture and cover photo combination with his kids. Do they want to follow in their father's footsteps? I hope they're more talented than that. They've got uh, at least 50% of their mother's genes and hopefully more. Uh, Spoken like a humble king. I love it. Um, Listen, everyone, we will be back to the NBA next week, you know, for more clips of either screaming from the sidelines or other shows on Believe. Find us on social media at Believe Network or Believe Sports. That's spelled B-L-E-A-V. Also, remember to like, share, rate, subscribe, follow, and even leave a review if you feel so kind and or bored uh, so we can keep doing what we do. So, uh, JB, thanks again, and uh, look forward to watching some of these Pac-12 games play out. I appreciate the invite, Greg. Good luck with the show, and thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. All right, everyone. Enjoy it. Keep screaming, and uh, until next time.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.